You are now listening to the London International Christian Church Podcast. I'm, uh, I'm encouraged that there's a little sunlight out there. You know, I get to work with my suntan and all that good stuff. It's, uh, it is but, uh, you know, more importantly, it's time to get into the worship of God this morning and into the Holy Bible. Amen? Oh. 
We didn't have any tough meat on Friday, man. We had some nice barbecue and it was awesome there. And I know it wasn't tough because I saw some of you. I mean, you had the sauce on the face there. And, I mean, I, even the sisters. I mean, the makeup got smeared. I mean, the meat wasn't so tough for them. I mean, even the sisters were going after the bone there. It was awesome. Over. 
You are the one who led Israel on their military side. And the Lord said to you, you will shepherd my people Israel. And you will become their ruler. When all the elders of Israel had come to King David in Hebron, the king made a compact with them at Hebron before the Lord. And they anointed David king over Israel. David was 30 years old, a young man. When he became king, and he reigned 30 years. In Hebron, he reigned over Judah seven years and six months. And in Jerusalem, he reigned over all Israel and Judah 33 years. And right here we find that David becomes king. He becomes king here, he gets anointed, and uh, David, David gets... He gets the nod from the people. The people got behind him for, for, for three simple reasons, the Bible says here. And as, as it got behind him, you got to understand, there were a lot of people from Saul's camp, from the northern kingdom that came over to be with David. You say, how many? 348,000 people. 348,000 left their place of worship to go and be with David. Why? Because he preached the word of God. He was the man that was sent in that time to preach the word of God. And people left the place and said, we're going to go when we hear the truth preached. Unadulterated, no compromise. And tons of people, they get tired of it, they get the word preached, and they come over and they start joining. He builds, he starts to build a great kingdom. You guys with me here? And of course, David had to, I mean, he just got to follow David. He's got a pretty tough man. I mean, this is a guy that was, you know, he was killing sheep there, or, or not, not killing sheep, but taking care of sheep at least. Amen. Glad he wasn't killing the sheep. <laughs> so he, 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 we, we talked about all the different lessons, all the different delights that David had to face. I mean, he wasn't believed in by his dad. Okay? He wasn't believed in by his own brother. Eliab was critical of him when he tried to do something great. Okay? He overcame that. Now, there were many Goliaths that David had to overcome before he overcame the true Goliath. And as a disciple, you'll have to overcome several Goliaths. And of course, he overcame all those challenges. David had such an incredible example. He was a tough disciple. And we come to this particular point here where he's trying to, to, to unify things, and people made him the leader for three reasons. One, he was an old flesh and blood. Two, he was an Israelite. And number three, he led them in their campaign. He didn't just say, go out and make disciples. He made disciples himself. You guys with me here? See, a true leader leads in the campaign. You don't lead just by telling. You lead by acting. Acting speaks louder than words. And of course, we we study our Bible in the book of Joshua, how when they had actually conquered the promised land, they didn't completely deal with this particular group that David's going to deal with here, the Jebusites. They dealt with them, but the problem was that they did not God's people. Once they took the Jebusites out in the book of Joshua, they did not inhabit, they didn't take over the land and populate it with God's people. The Jebusites came back and took over the land. I mean, that's how sin, that's, that's how it happens. When you, you deal with it, but you don't completely deal with it, it comes back on you. And so we come to this particular time where David's trying to go on up here and deal with the Jebusites, and, and, and he's going to take it over. And uh, this is where, where, where David says, this is going to be the new capital. And this, of course, was in Jerusalem. It was a strategic place because no one from the northern tribes had taken over Jerusalem, and no one from the southern tribes had taken over Jerusalem. Jerusalem was right on the border in between northern tribes and southern tribes. <laughs> so David said, we're going to go to that place. Nobody's really evangelized. I'm going to go right there, and I'm going to unify the movement of God. You guys with me here? Second Samuel chapter 5, verse 6. 
David chooses this neutral territory and he begins building a movement. Verse 6. The kingdom is in Jerusalem to attack the Jebusites who live there. The Jebusites said to David, you will not get in here. Even the blind and the lame can ward you off. They thought, David can't get in here. Nevertheless, I love that nevertheless there. <laughs> nevertheless, David captured the fortress of Zion, the city of David. On that day, David said, anyone who conquers the Jebusites will have to use the water shaft to reach those lame and blind for David's enemies. That is why they say the blind and lame will not enter this place. Whoa! Stop right there. This is an incredible feat. To attack the Jebusites, it was on a hill. Okay? And so to attack the Jebusites, David says, the only way we're going to do it is we're going to have to go through the water shaft. You've got to understand they did not have their own water supply. There was a, there was a spring, the Gion Spring, that was outside the city, and what they would do is dig these tunnels that would go underneath the city, and they would have the water supply flow into the city that way. Amen? And so these are huge tunnels, huge tunnels, and you gotta admit, I mean, if you got up in one of those tunnels and you see this big wall of water, I mean, that would be pretty, that's pretty dangerous. I mean, you could be killed in just a moment there. You know, you see the water coming at you. This huge, I mean, you imagine this entire building here, just as a tunnel. And you're walking down this tunnel feeling good about yourself, and then this wall of water comes. <laughs> I mean, this is a dangerous mission to be able to take over this, this city. And David says, hey, I need somebody who's bold. I need somebody, I need someone who's willing to be loyal to the point of death. Because if you go to the water shaft, you could have died on this, this, this mission. I need someone, dare we say, that's tough. That's the kind of disciple we need in this particular feat. And of course, there was only one disciple that took the challenge. There was only one disciple, really, that was bold enough, that was daring enough. And we start transitioning into our first point. Turn over to First uh, Chronicles chapter 11. Because I, I, I know you know who that disciple was, right? Okay, well let's look at it here. First, first Chronicles chapter 11. A, a more detailed account. First Chronicles chapter 11. That's what the word chronicle means, a more detailed account. So let's get a more detailed account. The chronicles actually are paired with First and Second Samuel, and they give a more detailed account. So you want more details out of First and Second Samuel, you go to the chronicles. Amen? So let's get more details. Who was it? Who was it that stepped up right here? First Chronicles 11, verse, verse 4. David and all the Israelites, that is Jebus. The Jebusites who lived there said to David, Nevertheless, David captured the fortress of Zion, the city of David. David had said, Whoever leads the attack on the Jebusites will become commander and chief. So Joab, son of Zeliah, went up first and so received the command. Wow! Joab is David's nephew. Joab just got taken out of leadership for being competitive, arrogant, and bitter. But now he's given the nod as the new commander-in-chief. Right here. First Samuel chapter 5. Turn back on over there. Verse 9. Since David then took up residence in the fortress and called it the city of David. He built up the area around it from the supporting terraces inward. And he became more and more powerful because the Lord God Almighty was with him. David, as he's building things on up, now that we've got a more detailed account of who the guy was that went under the water shaft there, 
as he's building the king, he implements a principle that we as spiritual Israel, as he's unifying Israel, we need to implement today. We need to implement that principle in building God's church, in building God's movement. We need to implement that today. The right to lead is earned. You've got to earn the right to lead. You have earned it. In Jeremiah chapter 30, verse 21. Says their leader will be one of their own. The ruler will arise from among them. I will bring him near, and he will come close to me. For who is the who is who is he who will devote himself to be close to me? God raises up a leader from from amongst the people, and the leader's got to be somebody who has earned the right to lead, who has an example to be followed. You know, it's great that we have a lot of talent here in the London International Christian Church. We don't. We've got quite a bit of talent here. When it comes to beauty, I think the women are a little bit better than the brothers, but, you know, that's just me. Looking at some of you, you're some, you, you know, you, you're, some, you're a motley crew. You're good, good, good disciples, but, but, but the, the women bring the beauty here. But talent is not enough. Talent's not enough. It doesn't take talent to be patient. Doesn't take talent to be kind. Doesn't take talent to share your faith. Doesn't take talent to be bold. Doesn't take know your Bible. Doesn't take talent to know the first principle. It doesn't take talent to be committed to be consistent in your weekly giving. Doesn't take talent. It takes someone who has the example and they earn the right to lead by their example. You guys with me here? That is a tough teaching. That's a tough teaching. That's a tough teaching. Because there are many people that are very talented. There are many that have lots of things to say. And, and, but, but if you don't have an example to be followed, you have not earned the right to lead. You've not earned it. And David was made leader because he earned the right to lead. And he didn't even allow his own cinematology. He said, okay, well, John's the guy. I mean, he's a little unspiritual. But man, this is the guy who led it. He's commander. He has the right to lead. He, he has earned it. And so as disciples, we, we, one of the things in building the church here, we, we got, we, we've got to raise up yeah. We've got to raise up some men, some women that want to be leaders. Yeah. You know, I'm fired up about that, uh, the way they say I'm even fired up about the title, Fearless. <laughs> you know, it's all Fearless and you got my little wife, sweet little wife. <laughs> sweet little flower that's Fearless. <laughs> you know, man. I really appreciate her. She's really been going after some areas of her life where she says, you know, I, I, I want to stop being a slave to fear. I want to be bold. I want to be daring. And there, there's got to be women who love God that are bold and daring. Amen? Can I get an amen from the sisters on that? Okay. But we got to ask ourselves a question. I mean, here in London, who's willing to go down the water shaft? Who's willing to really get down the water shaft to do the act that really is going to bring victory to God's people? The victory was brought, not by just David. It was, it was, it was Joab. Joab was just one of the, you know, we're not going to be in a, a, an incredible church unless people start raising up. We're not going to have an incredible team ministry unless teams start raising on up. It's awesome to have the, the old guys try to act like they're young. You know, you need, I tried. I mean, it's just been, you know, I've got a little gray hair coming now. It's just terrible. It's just, it's, I looked this morning. I was like, it's a gray hair. Let me cut that real quick. <laughs> Get rid of that. <laughs> He's weird. 
The right to lead is earned. The right to lead is earned. We got to talk about ambition. Ambition is not sin. Selfish ambition is sin. Jesus was very ambitious. Luke chapter 13. Verse 32. He said, you go tell that box. I'm going to reach my goal. (laughs) You go tell that box. Jesus was ambitious. Ambition is not sin. We know in 1 Timothy chapter 3, the Bible says it's a noble ambition for someone to want to be an elder. Okay? So we understand that ambition is not sin. It's noble to want to be an elder. To want to be... And you know, I'm so fired up about the church here. I'm so fired up about Jock and Jeanette Grinnewald. Because they, they really... You know... It is a noble ambition to want to step up and be the shepherd. you got to shepherd yourself. you got to shepherd your own group. you got to... There's a lot of shepherding going on. And the word, the, the, the word shepherd in Greek means feed them. So you got to feed a lot of people. As a shepherd. I'm so fired up about Jock and Jeanette because they, they, they shepherd the church. They shepherd the church. That's a noble ambition. You're in the fishbowl when, when you decide to be a leader. Everyone's watching everything you do. But selfish ambition, on the other hand, is very simple. It's very simple. To want to be in leadership for self. To want to be in leadership, to want to make decisions for self. And in the church, I, I just got to lay it out there. We need Bible talk leaders here. Yeah. We need Bible talk leaders. The Bible says, I believe anybody who's a disciple can become a Bible talk leader. Okay? You got no special, oh, you got to be special. No, no, no. You can become a Bible talk leader here in the church. But you need to know your Bible. Yeah. Bible talk leaders should be able to be all the way through with somebody who become a disciple. You should not be a bro when you You're not a Bible talk leader. If you have not been able to, to recognize that someone is truly ready to become a disciple, you're not a Bible talk leader. You need more training. You need more training. And that's okay. You have to be humble about that. Amen? But the Bible talk leaders got to be, and we need more Bible talk leaders here in the church. You know, there's going to come a time where we're going to have house churches. Where we're going to have the east side house church here in London. But we gotta, we gotta, we gotta raise up people who have earned the right to lead. Talent is not good enough. It is not good enough. You need to have an example. You need to have an example. And we gotta understand that having high opinions and subtle opinions without having an example doesn't build God's church. It doesn't build God's church. The right to lead is earned. The right to lead is earned. You guys do it with me? Second Samuel chapter five. Second Samuel chapter five. We're going to pick up fourteen. Now, of course, in verse fourteen, uh, you know something's interesting there. David, of course, uh, right here, the, the Bible in verse fourteen highlights three different guys that are talked about, and these three different guys are most likely, historians believe, they were the children from David and Bathsheba's marriage, a little bit later on, chapter 11, that we're going to look at. And of course, one of them was named Nathan. And what's interesting about that is no commentator really knows the details about it, but uh, Nathan uh, was a kid that was named by David, and Nathan was his, his, David's counselor. And Nathan was the guy who reviewed David. So, I mean, therein lies a great heart in 
David that the guy that rebuked him, he named his kid Nathan. <laughs> you know, so, so that, that highlights the heart of a true leader. That when someone brings something to you and it is of God, then you, you see that and you, you, you show honor. You don't get critical, bitter, and you don't get defensive. David didn't get defensive. He said, Why? You caught me, you got me, you're right. He named his kid up. He said, Hey, that's honorable. And we've got to ask ourselves, how, how are you in getting disciples? How, are you, how grateful are you when someone brings something to you and shows you? 2 Samuel chapter 5, verse 17. When the Philistines heard that David had been anointed king over Israel, they went up in full force to search for him. Oh, baby, now, now, now he's starting to have an impact. Now they're going after him. Says, but David heard about it and went down to the stronghold. Now the Philistines had come and spread out in the valley of Rephraim. So David inquired of the Lord, Shall I go and attack the Philistines? Will you hand them over to me? I mean, do you get a sense that David went to God before every battle? Yeah. I mean, he's just, he's just so prayerful. He's so spiritual. Before anything, before he decides to do anything, he's making sure it's in line with the will of God. Are you with me here? Yeah. Lord, answer them. Go, I'll show the hand of the Philistines over to you. So David went to Baal Pezra. And there he defeated him. He said, as water breaks out, the Lord has broken out against my enemies before me. So that place was called Baal Pezra. The Philistines abandoned their idols there, and David and his men carried them off. And the church said, This is a great victory. David's leading here. This is an incredible victory for God's people. David says right here, I mean, the Bible says that the Philistines lost, and then, you remember when the Philistines won the battle, you know what they did? They carried off the Ark of God. Remember that? They carried and everybody's all depressed and discouraged, and, you know, we're depressed in the light of God. In the light. You know? But David leads the charge and brings victory to God's people, not defeat. And you have the Philistines with their idols being carried off. Instead of the Ark being carried off, you have the Philistines and their idols being carried off. But the interesting thing I notice here is that they went after him after he becomes, after they hear about what he's doing, he becomes a threat. After they hear about the victory, he starts to become a threat. And that's what before you have a disciple. After a victorious fight, Satan's going to strike. After you are blessed, after God does something incredible in your life, Satan is going to attack you. He's going to go after you. And the Philistines attacked. Once they heard that, oh, okay, we're going to go after David here. And they attacked. We've been so blessed in the church, have we not? I mean, God has done so much here. Two months before, after planning the church here, we sent two people out to Sweden. Remember that? I mean, that, that's incredible. Two months after, we were sending people out on, on, on the other mission field. You know, we secured this location, of course, for, for our church meeting. You say, well, is this a big deal that you meet here? Well, this week the Olympic Committee was meeting here to uh, establish which people that they were going to have to speak at the Olympics here. This, this is a pretty, pretty high-level place that we're meeting here. And the hand of the Lord has worked powerfully to allow us to meet here for a very, very, very low price. And we are to show honor to God and this facility for that. Are you with me here? God has given us a great victory here. We started campus ministry. We got campus ministry in the church. You know, we're going, we got an awesome open mic night there. You know, Colton is a country and western guy. And he didn't bring his tin gal on the hat and everything, but he's going to do something country and western for us. That open mic night. It's going to be incredible. 
He showed me his video of bull riding and everything. <laughs>
And so the dove represented purity and God's spirit on Jesus. And it says in verse 17, says the voice from heaven said, This is my son, whom I love, with him I'm well pleased. You know, if you're a disciple, one of the tough things we got to understand is that, that, that when you became a disciple, God was pleased with you. Amen. And God is still pleased with you. That you are special. As a disciple, you're special. I, I, I want you to say that with me. As a disciple, I'm special. As a disciple, I'm special. You're special. God is well pleased with you. God thinks you're amazing. God loves you. You're a disciple. You're the most powerful threat on the face of the earth. You're a disciple. You have the spirit of Jesus inside of you. And how powerful is Jesus? The spirit was raised him from the dead. So, pretty powerful. That's the spirit that lives in you. God is pleased with you as a Christian. But of course, what happened? After Jesus saw the dove, what happened? Well, verse 4, chapter 4, verse 1. So then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. See, there it is. After the dove comes the devil. No different than David. After he becomes a threat, then, then all of a sudden they start attacking him. After the dove comes the devil. We've got to be obedient even under attack. So after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. I'd be hungry too, wouldn't you? <laughs> I'd, want a, I'd want a Friday night rib fest and barbecue and chicken and all of but what's interesting is I started comparing, I started digging through my Bible, is that Adam, Adam met Satan while he was in the garden. And of course the garden was paradise. So Adam met Satan in the garden. Jesus met him in the wilderness. Adam met Satan when he had everything that he needed. He was all perfect. He needs paradise. He was he had paradise. And so he met Satan when he had everything, yet he failed. See, some of us, we have everything and we can still fail. God has given you everything and you can still fail. Adam had everything and he still failed. Jesus was hungry and had nothing but the power of God. And it gave him a victory. You with me here, church? Of course, we don't, we don't have quiet times in the church anymore. We have victory. We know that the battle begins first thing in the morning. How was your victory this morning? I mean, did you leave the house victorious? With the dove descending on you. Did you leave the house without a victory? Verse 3. The tempter came to him and said, If, oh, the Son of God, tell me so. Give us bread. Wow, Satan uses doubt right here. Right after blessing Jesus, he uses doubt. He says, If. I mean, that's how Satan gives us. If. Gives us the question of that. And I'm sure Jesus is like, wow, you know, I mean, of course, Jesus is man, Jesus. He could have. If, if, if God is so awesome, why am I in this wilderness? Yeah, yeah, that's true, yeah. There's a wilderness here. This is what's awesome. Yeah, am I the son? What am I put in the wilderness? You know, we can have that attitude as disciples. You're in the wilderness and you start doubting. Is this true? We can doubt. We get persecuted. We begin to wonder. Am I a disciple? Am I really a disciple? Have I really changed? Yeah. After we get persecuted, we start to question. In fact, if you're not being persecuted, you better question why. Yeah. 
It, it highlights you're not really living a godly life. See, the Bible teaches that if you're living a godly life, you will be you will be persecuted. Persecution to God's highest compliment. It's him complimenting you on the Lord. You're with me here, church. We can't give in a doubt because we go through persecution. That's a seal. That means you're doing something right, guys. Doesn't mean that you. We, you know, we're, we're such a scary little, you know, what's, we're, what's going on here? Not everybody is in tune. You mean to tell me that everybody wants to go out of the Bible? Even to my family. Whoa, oh, nobody in my family sins. We start doubting. Verse 4. Jesus answered, It is a friend of love. But on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city, had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God. See, he doesn't stop with this doubting question. Throw yourself down, for it is written. Woo! Now he's using the Bible. He pulls out a scripture on him. He pulls out Psalms chapter 91, verse 11 through 12. I knew you guys knew that, right? Michael, you knew that, right? I see that. I see that. I can see that. Look on the page. He's using scripture. But when you look at Psalms 91, verse 11 through 2, the problem is that Satan actually misquotes it. He leaves out part of the scripture. Go back and read it. Study three parts. He leaves out part of it. That is the heart of Satan. He'll tell you, he'll tell you the truth, but he won't, he won't tell you all of it. If you're visiting with us, let me just let if, if there hasn't been a disciple that's bold enough to tell you. People think we're a cult. Why? Because we call them to obey the Bible. People say all kinds of negative things about us online. People say all kinds of half truths about us because they're too afraid to confront us. People have said things are true and then really said there's a whole other side of it. As to the reasoning by what they're saying. And there's all kinds of persecution about it. That, that, that's just our church. God's church is controversial. The church in the Bible is controversial. So we're controversial. That's, that's, that's who we are. It's awesome. I love it. The sisters are really sweet, but they're controversial. They're hard lines. They're like, amen, amen. Yeah, you're lost. Amen. So, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But you're lost. Yeah. We're controversial. We need to be okay with that. Satan leaves out part of us here. So if you're reading any of that baloney online, there's stuff that's missing. I said before you, it's spiritual pornography. It's spiritual pornography. You wouldn't want all your sins put online and blasted out to the world to be listened to, would you? And that's exactly what certain people have done with stuff that we have online about us. About, about us. You want to know anything about us? Just talk to us. Just talk to us. We're not going to leave half of it out. That's the heart of faith, to leave things on out. And that's what he does right here with Jesus. Verse 7. Jesus answered him. It is also written, do not put the Lord, your God, to the test. Again, the devil took him to a high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, so it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and the angels attended him. You know, as I was studying it in Luke's account, he actually switches up the, the, the miracles. He reverses the order of, of the second and third temptation. And so, you know, Satan will come at you from many different ways. But, you know, no, you know, after being blessed, we got to stay obedient under attack, guys. 
We got to be on the You know what? A couple that love this shirt so much. Cassandra and then Sean Corn. You know, you got to love Sean. I mean, Sean comes down. He says, you know, listen, we came down. We, we, we saw the service. We're moving down here. They get down here. As soon as they get down here, bang, $700 attack. They go to rent out their, their flat, and the agent decides to keep their deposit. No, I'm not going to give it back to you. And of course, it takes a lot to move your entire family across, across country. It takes a lot of faith. It takes a lot of boldness for that. They were attacked right after. Right after. But you know what? John is standing strong today. Amen? He's standing strong today in the Lord. Yeah, I'm so proud of our sister Keeper. I'll never forget when she first came out to the motion. You know, she had her best friend and she was fired up. I'm studying my best friend's studies. We're going to become disciples. And all of a sudden, her friend didn't become a disciple. Keeper says, Amen. I'm going to stay hard line. I'm going to stay hard line. I'm going to stay strong. Then the brother who reached out to her in the third place, he falls away. Her family goes after her. No. Now, she becomes a disciple. You know. And there's Keeper. You know, she's got that little smile on her face. She's like that there. You know, you're like, Are you, you doing okay, Keeper? You're all right there, really. Well, I'm kind of going through, but I'm sorry. God is with me. And what's awesome about her is how hard, how, how strong she is in the faith today. Yeah. I don't really believe there are many examples in the church of obedience when we're under attack. We've got to stay obedient when we're under attack, guys. We've got to stay obedient. You guys stay with me. I'm fired up for, uh, in a couple of weeks, we're going to have the... There you go. Okay. That's a single sister clapping on that one there. All right. That's a lovely church there. Okay. <laughs> amen. I won't say anything about that one, but amen. But, uh, you know, uh, if, if you haven't, if you haven't heard, if you guys heard that book called The Five Love Languages. I mean, this is, a, this is an awesome book, you know. It talks about how everyone's got their different love languages. You know, like, yeah, exactly. Me and Michelle went through it, the, 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 the love languages, you know. And uh, it's a really great book for marriage. It's a really great book for anybody to go through. To be able to understand how to show love and how people feel love. Okay? And one of the love languages is words of affirmation. That fires some people up. Words of affirmation. Uh, the other is quality time. I mean, some of us like quality time. Uh, the other is gifts. <laughs> we all know Kimmy's love language there. Acts of service. This is my, my, my wife, Michelle. I mean, I can tell her everything in the world. She's like, oh, you need you are beautiful, you are awesome, you are incredible, you look 17, almost 18, not a wrinkle, babe, you are amazing. She's like, can you put away the shoes there and take the pants out? She's active service. I figured this out. And then, of course, there's physical touch. There's physical touch, where you like you love a pat on the back, or you love, you know, you love, love, you love, you love the side, some of us love the side hug. You know, that, that crazy that fire, some of us up. You get that little side hug on there, and so you're like, hey, man, that feels great. And where does that come from? Romans chapter 16. So greet one another with a holy kiss. Well, we don't do the holy kiss, we do the holy hug. Amen? So, yeah. So, is that. But as I was thinking about that, God, you know, it, it, it's awesome to have words of affirmation when it comes to God. 
he, he likes it telling him he's awesome. It's awesome to spend quality time with God. He, he, he likes that. It's awesome to serve God, but you can't serve your way into heaven. It's the blood of Jesus that allows you to get into heaven. And we can't physically touch God until we get to heaven, so that one doesn't count. Amen? So I started thinking, what's God's love language? Obedience. Which is our next point. You've got to understand God's love language is obedience. Your life depends on it. Second Samuel chapter 6. Second Samuel chapter 6, verse 1. David again brought together out of all Israel chosen men, 30,000 in all. He and all his men set out from Bala, Judah, to bring up from the ark of the God, which is called by name, the name of the Lord Almighty, who is enthroned between the cherubim that are on the ark. They set the ark of God on a new cart and brought it from the house of Abinadab, which is on the hill. Uzzah, Ahiwa, sons of Abinadab, were guiding the new cart. With the ark of God on it, and Abwai was walking in front of it. David and the whole house of Israel were celebrating with all their might before the Lord, with songs, with hearts, with lyres, tambourines, cymbals, and cymbals. I mean, they are having a party here, are they not? See, partying is in the Bible here, guys. See, it's okay as a disciple to party, okay? And, and you, as a, you just got to get fired up about that. That as a disciple, you can, you can, just, you can just let loose. And that's what they were doing. They were having a great time. They were having a great time. You know, I love our open mic night. I love to see all the different talent comes on out. I love the parties that we throw. Uh, where we, we, we spend time, we have food. And of course, this is a great, great night for the Lord here. And one of the things that we, we you know, that we can... You know, if you, if you study First Samuel, Second Samuel, you can kind of take for granted the sense of uh, culture that David brought to to Israel at that time. David brought he brought a culture, he brought a confidence, he brought they, they stopped they went from being just this boring. I mean, the Israelites were nomadic people. They were nomadic people. They were barbaric. They didn't have tools of metal and silver and gold and all this. I mean, even every time you find that there's a, there's a death with the Israelites, even with, with Abner, it was, a, it was a wooden stake that was used. So they were poor. They were kind of nomadic, barbaric kind of people. And David, David sees all of that. He says, I'm going to bring some culture to the church. I'm going to bring, I'm going to bring some little, little, little confidence, a little, little way of celebration, a way of ceremony. For those of you that are into hip-hop, he brings swagger. A little swagger there. Yeah. He brings a little swagger. And you got to have a little swagger as a disciple. Brings a little sense of culture. Verse 6. When the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah reached out and took hold of the ark of God because the oxen stumbled. The Lord's angel burned against Uzzah because of this irreverent act. Therefore God struck him down. And he died there beside the ark of God. Since David was angry because the Lord's wrath had broken out against Uzzah, and to this day that place is called for it, Uzzah. David was afraid of the Lord. Have you ever been there? <laughs> Just super ticked off and got, God, I can't believe Ooh, I've been hold up. And you, you, you start getting a little afraid. First you get mad, then you get afraid. I mean, that, 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 I've been there before. David gets afraid of the Lord. He says, how can the ark of the Lord ever come to me? He was not willing to take an ark of the Lord to be with him in the city of David. Instead, he took it aside to the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. The ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, for three months. And the Lord blessed him and his entire household. 
I mean, they was having this cranking party. I mean, they're, they're an open mic. I mean, people are singing. I mean, you got all these singers and all this stuff. They got bells and flutes and leers and tambourines. And all of a sudden, and all of a sudden, right in the middle of their celebration, boom, God kills a guy. And they was like, God, what, what are you doing killing this guy? Right in the middle of that party here. Have an awesome celebration for you. What's wrong with you, Lord? What, kill a guy like that? I mean, geez, we're having a great party. You kill somebody. <laughs> and of course we understand that this was, this was an irreverent act. Now, for those of you that know your Bibles, you've been studying this, you know Exodus chapter 25 teaches that, hey, there, there was a couple of things that did. First of all, the ark was supposed to be veiled. It was supposed to be veiled. And second of all, even if you read it, they just said build a new cart. I mean, that's awesome, but who told you to build a new cart? <laughs> you know, I mean, where, 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 who, who gave you that? to start to do something new. Second of all, I had these poles where when you carried it, you had to put the, the, the pole through the, the holes on the ark. So they're doing all kinds of things wrong here. You say, well, how, how could they get so far out there to where they do this? I believe they do the word of God. You remember when all the priests got killed at Nob? Remember that? Doeg the Edomite? He killed all the priests at Nob? Well, the priests were in charge of doing what? Delivering the word of God to the people. In fact, the Bible teaches that if you are a disciple, that you are a true God in a lost world. Is that not awesome, God? That all this, so there's no such thing as a priest. I'm sorry. It's, 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 the whole theology of the Catholic Church is totally tradition. It's not of God. It's, it's wrong. Jesus is our only high priest. You guys with me here? So with the end of those priests at Nob, when they killed all those priests, there was an absence of somebody preaching the word. Dare we say they were biblically ignorant and they made a very costly mistake. They didn't know the word of God. They're doing the ark all wrong. Why? They didn't know the word of God. I just want to ask a serious question. Do you know your Bible? How well do you know the first principle? You need that little blue book that you got the awesome picture on it. You need that. You got to take that around with you. You know, you are a disciple. You need to know your Bible. We need to know our Bible. Now, I just want you, if you're visiting today, you know, we 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 are a church of love. But this guy in fact didn't realize what he was doing, and it cost him his life. Why? He wasn't obedient to the Word of God. Because he didn't understand that God's love language is obedience. And it cost him his life. Listen, if you're not a disciple and you leave today and you don't decide to study the Bible, to find out what the Word of God says, it can cost you your life. You can, you can leave this building and literally die. You know, just this week, I came walking out of my house there, feeling all good about, you know, going to meet Colton, you know, awesome, you know, got hot bandy, and they're awesome, they're coming, I'm feeling great, you know, like Colton's like this little Brad Pitt looking cranking creature who's humble, I mean, where do you find a guy like that? God, you're awesome, man, this is awesome, and man, he's so sweet, and I see this big, 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 this rope, you know, the little yellow rope, like, the, the thing like when someone dies, and uh, this was in front of our house, not, not, literally in front, and I'm like, and I look, and I go, wow. And I, I pulled someone to the side and I asked, what happened? Well, there was a young lady, 20 years old. Just got hit by that bus. She died just a few minutes ago. She's dead. We, we, may, we, we, we can either have disciples 
get out of touch with that. We say, well, you know, if you were to be hit by a bus, you could No, she did get hit by a bus and she died. And if she did not know the word of God, how much more is that? God's love language is obedience to the word of God. If you come today visiting, I beg you to study the Bible, to find out what the word of God says. Nobody is promised tomorrow, but everybody is promised to die. Everybody. And God's love language is obedience. They, 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 David was not obedient. They were not obedient. God wants obedience. We and weave that on in there. Well, you know, maybe God, maybe God is, you know, no. We are faithful to God and God will be faithful to us. We're unfaithful, God will be faithful. That means if we're faithful, God is faithful. If we're unfaithful, God is faithful. He's not going to change his word. So if we're faithful, we're going to heaven. If we're unfaithful, we're going to hell. He's faithful. God is faithful to you. Like, yeah, yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, you're faithful to me. You come to heaven. You're unfaithful. You go to hell. Yeah, I'm faithful. I don't change. I'm not emotional. I don't get all sucked into that. We've got to obey. We've got to understand that. As a church, God's love language is obedience. Are you with me, this church? It is obedience. Second Samuel chapter 6. Verse 12. Says so now King David was told, The Lord has blessed the house of Obed and Edom. And everything he had because of the ark of God. So David's like, What is this guy getting blessed for? So, so, God, so David went down and brought the ark of God from the house of Obed and Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. Then when those who were bearing the ark of the Lord had taken six steps, he sacrificed a bull and a fattened calf. I mean, this is, this is, this is very interesting. Imagine every six steps. They're sacrificing the bull. Yeah. They cut, the, cut the neck and the blood, blood, you know, and they kill it and they sacrifice it. And, and, I mean, there's a lot of people here, right? Yeah. Every six steps, one, two, three, four, boom. I mean, that, that had to be a lot of organization yeah. to put that together. Yeah. How do you, I mean, it's, I mean, the Bible just says it, but you, you go, okay, this is a powerful organization. This is a structure. This took unity to accomplish a great sacrifice. And of course, the life of an animal is in the blood. And of course, the road to Jerusalem was paved in the blood of Jesus. Paved in the blood of Jesus. And as they're paving the road there, they're, they're paving it with the blood there. So. It is. It's very. But what we understand is that God is a God of order. God is a God of structure. We need to have structure, we need to have order in the church. Are you with me here? You know, one of the things that we're grateful for is having this building. But you know, I sat down with the audience this week and they, they, they said, you know, we're, we're a little disappointed. We, 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 we really, we have a high deal of respect for the church. But we, we you know, I, I don't know if you don't talk to your, your members or what, because... The, and we feel nitpicky, but do you have structure and order to your service? I just went, oh my gosh. I was so humble when she said that. She goes, we find gum under the chairs, we find writing, we find the place. I mean, sometimes, we just, can you please take care of the place? And of course, you hear something like that, you're just humble. Yeah. You're humble. You're not just saying, you don't say, oh, take me now. No, that's not. No, Satan doesn't attack for dereliction. That's dereliction. Okay, okay that's us being dereliction. We got it. We got it. That's an American word for not very often. Okay, dereliction. Okay, we got to take care of the place, guys. We have to take care of the place. 
We've got to make sure that, you know, we don't, there's no writing on the walls. We've got to make sure that children are taken care of when we have our breaks. We've just got to make sure we take care of the place. God has got to work. It took a lot of organization to do with it there. You guys with me there on that? I think the other thing is, the structure of the church is very simple. We have discipling and discipling partners. This is a discipling church, amen? That means when you have that daily contact with your discipleship partner, it's going to keep you from getting hardened by sin's deceitfulness. But I really believe that I, I, I have to question whether there's been true discipling going on in some of our Bible Discipling is not you just beating down on your eyes. Disciple that brother. Disciple that sister. That's what I'm saying too, yeah. And even when we get to something, yeah, oh, how long you got? Let me tell you how long I've got this oh. It's like this dirty word. But we gotta love one another, guys. The structure of the church has discipling times. The preacher is not to disciple everybody in the church. The Bible taught leader is not to disciple everybody in the group. No, no. We all have individual disciple partners. If we don't have a discipling partner, and if you disciple someone who doesn't feel like they've been discipled, you, you, you are not following in with the Spirit of God, who is a God of order and structure. It took a ton of organization and structure to do what they were doing. They sacrificed those bulls. We've got to make sure that we're obedient to the structure here in the church. Are you guys with me here? Let's bring it home in the close. 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 14. 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 14. So David, where he saw, danced before the Lord with all his might. There you go, Jason. So that's inspired you all up here. See, you're like, you're like David there, you know. This, this was the dancer in the church. And he, he, he breaks it down, does all these cool moves and all this stuff there. You, you're like David there. Yeah, okay, amen. So while he and the entire house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouts and with sounds of trumpets. Now the Bible says he was wearing a linen ephod. That was a very plain outfit. I mean, you would say it was such a great victory and David unifying the nation, he'd have this awesome, like, kingly garment and something that really drew attention to himself as a leader. But now David says, listen, I'm just going to wear the ephod. It isn't about that. It's not about that. Now, the other thing is we find that David danced before the Lord. Now, it's awesome to dance before the Lord, but during that time, dancing was only seen at slave girls and the women did. That's another piece of the difference. Sorry about that, bro. <laughs> yeah, that, that was something only the women did. And so David dancing, there's some feelings of bitterness coming on in here. This is our next point. Having the spirit of bitterness kills love. Verse 16. As the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, McCall, daughter of Saul, watched from the window. And when she saw David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised it in her heart. They brought the ark of the Lord and they set it in its place inside the tent. And David appeared for it. And David sacrificed offerings of fellowship offerings before the Lord. After they had finished sacrificing burnt offerings of fellowship offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord Almighty. Then he gave a loaf of bread and cake and dates and cake and raisins to each person in the whole crowd of Israelites, both men and women. And all the people went to their homes. When David returned home to bless house, hold of Michal, daughter of Saul, she came out to meet him and said, How the king of Israel has distinguished himself today, disrobing in the sight of slave girls, of his servants, as any vulgar fellow would do. I think she's a little bitter right here. Yeah. What about you? Yeah. This is not the way to win your husband on over. Amen? 
David sent him a call. Hey man, you need to be humble right now. You need to just, uh, what else do you think? No, 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 that's not, that's the book of second opinions, right? No, no, no. David sent him a call. See, sometimes you need to establish leadership in the home. Sometimes you need to say, no, 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 honey, I love you, you are awesome. No, no, have a seat. Let me, let me, let me watch you with the word of God here. And that's what David did. David sent him a call. It was before the Lord who chose me rather than your father or anyone from his house when he appointed me ruler of the Lord's people of Israel. I will celebrate before the Lord. I will become even more undignified than this and I will be humiliated in my own eyes with these slave girls you spoke of. I will be held in honor. And Michal, daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her death. What happened? He stopped having sex with her. And she had no kids. Because of her bitterness. Bitterness kills love. Yeah. Having a spirit of kills love. You, you hear it all day long. I don't want to be a part of organized religion. Yeah. Why? <laughs> You'll be a part of an organized company. <laughs> You'll be a part of anything else, or, but not religion. Whoa. That's some bitterness there. It's killed your love for God. Bitterness kills love. How bitterness kills love? David never had children with her. He never, he had no children, so he didn't, he didn't sleep with her. You know, in Galatians chapter 5, verse 15, it simply says, if you keep biting and devouring each other, watch out, or you'll be destroyed by each other. I want to address the church here. On a few issues. This is all I have. This is all we have. This is it, guys. Outside the kingdom of God, there's nothing else out there but the kingdom of God. This is it. This is all we have. And if we empower each other within the church, we can destroy the church. Such a bitterness. It kills the love of God. It can kill the love of the fellowship. There's been a, there's, there's just a biting and devouring going on in the fellowship amongst God's people. And it kills the love. It kills the love. As leaders, I want to speak to you. If you have a spirit of bitterness, you're not being a great leader in that way. Because the Bible says you who are spiritual should gently restore the others. And don't be led into it yourself. A bad attitude, a bad attitude with a bad attitude. It just doesn't work. Brother calls you, he's sick off. I'm mad because the church doesn't do this. What else did they do? You need to repent. You need to repent. You saw anger. Well, so do you. For us as leaders, we have to be able to lead people out of those situations. But if you're not inquiring before the Lord and really getting the peace of God, which transcends all understanding regarding your heart in Christ Jesus, you won't be able to help somebody come out of a particular situation of unspirituality and help them stop being blinded by Satan and see God. Yeah. Leaders in the church, we need to have the ability to lead people out of this. And yeah, it's going to come back to you as you being it. But we've got to leave people out of that. You've got to live in the church. Bitterness kills love. For those of you 
that are Your bitterness can kill the love of the church. Your bitterness can kill the love of the church. It can kill your love of your disciples and racist. Someone says, I don't even want to have these out of that person. They're always bitter. These are things that should not be the case, brothers and sisters. You guys with me here? Bitterness can kill the... We got such an amazing church, I believe. But if we allow having the spirit of bitterness, it'll, 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 it'll kill us. You know, me and Michelle, I'm so, I'm so grateful for my lovely wife. But I think one of the things that, that really hurt our marriage was having a spirit of bitterness. Because what you do is you get bitter that somebody else is bitter. Yeah. You're bitter. I'm bitter about that. I'm bitter, you're bitter. I can't believe I'm bitter to you. And I was, I, was the one, I was the one who was bitter, but Michelle was bitter that I was bitter. Michelle, yeah. so, I can't believe I'm so bitter. Kip says, well, sweetheart, you, you're a little bitter, and you, you guys are both bitter. And it was killing our marriage. Yeah. Killing our love. The church is. Is all we have, guys. We can't bite and devour. We gotta speak well of one another. We gotta be behind one another. If a brother falls down, you gotta pick him up. He may be that's your brother, that's your sister. You do whatever it takes. You lay your life down for your brothers in the church. Are you with me here? We can't have the spirit of business, guys. It'll kill the church. It'll kill the church. And it'll kill love. Having a spirit of bitterness kills love. Second Samuel chapter seven. Of course, we've got to run out of time, and I want to dig into chapter seven, but we're going to have to save that for next week. But uh, David offers up a prayer. I'll just leave you with this. He offers up a prayer, an incredible prayer. God gives him peace, but amidst that peace, David doesn't just sit back and get get lazy. He still says, hey, I want a lot of times when you have a great victory, you can want to sit back and rest on your laurels. But David says, no, I want to do something great for God. And God answered his prayer a different way. God answered his prayer by saying, no. See, sometimes no is an answer to prayer. <laughs> you pray, God says, here's your answer, no. <laughs> We're going to dig into that in chapter 7 next week. But I really believe, full circle, you take all of our points today. As we dig through here, David establishing this particular part of Israel's history and establishing the church. To be a disciple, to be a tough disciple, we've got to understand at one, T, the right to lead earn. Oh, we got to be obedient under attack. After the dove comes the devil. We've got to understand that God's love language is obedience to his word. God is a God of structure and unity. And we've got to understand that having a spirit of bitterness kills love. Gratefulness kills love. As disciples, I want to challenge you to be tough. I want to challenge you to be tough. To God be the glory. We would like to thank you for listening to that episode of the podcast. If you would like video versions of these episodes, whether it's sermon highlights or interviews, feel free to check us out on our website or view them on our YouTube channel. 
That's londonchurch.org.uk. That's L-O-N-D-O-N-C-H-U-R-C-H.org.uk. And for all other updates and information, whether it's services, events, or devotionals, you can find all that on our website also. Once again, we'd like to thank you for listening, and we'll catch you on the next one. Music